stay there. You know what? I believe that every single person on this planet can make a difference. And I believe that we all have something to offer, something that's so unique that it will change somebody else's life. I believe we all deserve to step into our true selves. And I believe that every single person needs to feel great about themselves. I want you to step into who you truly are and I want you to make a difference for somebody else and for yourself. And I don't think it's that hard. It's a matter of putting one step in front of the other and just taking action. And I'm interviewing guests that have done just that. I'm Karen Vaughan. This is the Get Off The Bench podcast. And here is where you can make that decision to make your life count. It all starts with you saying yes. And welcome back to another week of the Get Off the Bench podcast. And you are going to love this week. I'm speaking with Ben Tunks, who is in the student wellbeing role at one of the schools, the primary schools in Terelgan in Gippsland. And he is talking about his little village project. So I'm going to tell you more about that in a second. But what I do want to say is that seeing as though this episode is based on Gippsland, Uh, I never promote myself and people always say to me, tell us what you got coming up because we don't hear about it until it's too late. So I am going to tell you this. I do have a Confident Leaders program. So if you are a leader in your workplace and would like a bit more confidence and basically this, uh, the whole program is about understanding yourself, understanding others and how we can uh, build better connections and relationships in the workplace uh, to be a much better leader. That program is starting for people from a variety of different organisations joining. It will be held in person in Gippsland over six months and it will be one Thursday per month, starting on the 30th of March. So if that's something that does interest you, um, please go and check it out on my website, karenvaughan.com, because the feedback that I do get from this program is phenomenal and it really does shift your perspective about yourself and others and there's a lot of deep reflection in it. So if that's something you'd like to do, I would love to have you with me. So please go and check that out and connect with me via the website uh, to find out a little bit more and to let me know that you're interested. So that's enough about me, but I want to get back to Ben. Now, Ben decided that he was frustrated by, I guess, by the system not supporting kids uh, coming from disadvantaged situations or traumatic situations. And he decided that, you know, it's that saying that someone should do something about this. Oh, hang on a minute. I am somebody. I should do something. And he did. And and by starting the Little Village Project, he's now able to support some of these kids to just to amp up their equity so that they can have as much opportunity or at least improved opportunity and engage in school and, you know, just just get their foot in the door and hopefully it'll make a difference to them. And you'll love the couple of stories. He only tells a couple of stories in this episode, but I tell you what, they make your heart sing, make your heart melt, and they're just beautiful. And the impact that he's having on kids through this project is phenomenal. Anyone's going to love this, but if you are from Latrobe Valley or Gibson, you're going to love it even more. So if Ben can do it, um, I'm sure anyone else can do it, or if not, you can just support him. But let's get into it because this is absolutely fantastic. So welcome, Ben. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. I, I only I found out about you, oh, I don't know, 
was a few months ago and, you know, we've been trying to catch up and you've been on school holidays and good on you. I, I kind of envy teachers, you know, having that big break, but I know it's not like that. I know you've got a lot to do. But um, when I first saw Little Village Project, I was like, wow, I love this. And if only so many more people would just do small things like this, we'd have such, such a different world. So thank you for joining us. That's my pleasure. Happy to do it. Oh, you're awesome. So we might as well, now that we've started talking about the Little Village Project, you might as well just give us a quick overview of what it is and then we'll dig a bit deeper. Yeah, well, I guess the short version of it is is uh, it's a, just a little project I started with the help of some people just to raise some capital to be able to uh, pay for things that we think kids really need in order to, or kids and their families need to access their education and hopefully increase their levels of attainment and keep them in school or enthusiastic about learning for as long as possible. Yeah. So that's, that's the uninspiring answer. The, <laughs> the um, truth of it is it's um, when you sort of look in these kids and families in the eye, it's, it's a lot more, it means a lot more than those words can convey. Yeah. And this is in the Terrelgan area in Gippsland in Victoria. Yeah, yeah. So at the moment it only exists at Stockdale Road Primary School, uh, which is the one that I work at. And But we're looking to expand it to a few other primary schools over the next couple of years. Oh, that's fantastic. And so what... Um... What made you do like? No, don't don't tell me what made you do it because I want to talk about that later. But what what what's um what's significant about the area? Like, was is is there a lot of kids in that area that are not able to access school? And is this a, an ongoing problem or a big a growing problem? Or yeah, I think inequity is probably a growing problem everywhere. Uh, yeah. But I think you know it's not not a secret that Lillitro Valley in particular is just has a, a huge pockets of disadvantage yeah. so there's definitely a lot of scope for it here but uh, I you know I think inequity is just growing across the board everywhere I think we're seeing that and probably magnified a little bit by the events of the last couple of years that's for sure yeah yeah I was just talking to somebody the other day about um, the incredible people of Gippsland you know that there's just so many so many people that uh, have just super intelligence, of super giving, super altruism, just super community focused. You know, there are so many good people in Gippsland that step up and, and just really try to handle a lot of these issues. And, you know, there's, with not much help from the government, I'm going to say, quite bluntly, and and we were talking about it and we're just saying that Latrobe Valley has kind of been... Um, marked as a lower demographic area where we just produce coal and you know we just produce the power for the for the whole bloody country and it's kind of like this place that's overlooked by you know you know so many areas of the government and everything else and yet it is such a self-reliant um area do you know what I mean and and we're, yeah. we're kind of like well, well screw you government because we've got enough good people on the ground here to to bloody well you know, to, to rally our own troops. And I reckon Gippsland Latrobe Valley is magnificent and I think that it's given a reputation that is totally unreasonable. Yeah, totally. yeah. And I look, I'm not going to lie or, or butter it up. A lot of my motivation for doing this was 
just fueled by frustration and anger at some of the systems that are letting kids down in particular. So, um, yeah. yeah, that's that's why I started up really. Yeah, well, a lot of a lot of good projects are started from frustrated. Yeah. Being, I say you've either got to be passionate about it and really love it, or be passionate about it that you're really pissed off, and then then you'll do something about it either way. But so so tell us about your childhood because you know obviously um, having access to good education and having equity and all that kind of stuff is really it, it hits your value system. So that that you know. That kind of means that you know you either had a good upbringing and you've been you've really care about it deeply and you've been had some good morals put into you, or you've suffered it yourself. So how was your um? Well, I'm generalising, of course, but how was your childhood? How were you as a kid? Yeah, look, I can't complain. Like I, my parents are still together, and you know, as had access to education and then university after, um, you. Know, so I really can't complain. That like we moved to Latrobe Valley when I was about uh, ten or eleven years old, and we moved to Trogan because my dad got some work down here, and uh, I, I was actually quite—I'd been in the Royal Children's Hospital for uh, on and off for about twelve months beforehand, and I remember Mum and Dad were talking about wanting to move to the country where we could get some clean air, and then we sort of drove over the hill into the valley, and we, we see all the the billowing steam um, coming out from the power stations and then the smell of that paper mill hit us and we thought, oh, God, what have we got ourselves in for? <laughs> um, and, yeah, and then I attended all the local uh, public schools down here, so Gray Street and then Trogan College and, uh, and then, yeah, after university for a little while, which probably didn't work out as well as I hoped, and then, um, yeah, back to, back to home, back to Trogan. Yeah, I, I know that feeling when you're coming over the hill and then all of a sudden you see the smokestacks and it's that's the problem, isn't it? And and you know, and and there's no there's no um hiding the fact that it is polluting our air, you know, and I think that it's kind of like we don't care about those bastards up there, we'll just let them go. But you know, it's uh it, it isn't right. And anyway, we're we're looking at a lot, there's a lot more um renewable energy processes going on now. So hopefully, hopefully the Latrobe Valley will be a beautiful clean sparkling place in in no time so um were you were you brought up as a kid to um you know by your parents sort of telling you about that's not fair that's injustice or is it something that you've sort of gained through some of your work um, uh, yeah role? probably uh, I always say you know I remember I, I sort of miss those days of ignorance where um you know <laughs> You'd walk walk past the plaza and you'd see all those people out the front at the bus stop who weren't doing so well. And I, I remember walking past them as a as a young man, thinking that they were a product of their own choices. And then, you know, that veil of ignorance is lifted over time through the work that you do and the people that you meet. And you realize that often those people are a victim of their circumstances. And often yeah. those circumstances are before they even turn 12 years old and with yeah you know if I was in their circumstances or if I was unlucky enough to have endured some of the adversity that they'd endured then chances are I would be in that position I would be pretty miserable and um and definitely finding life a lot harder than I do now so mm. yeah I, I definitely wasn't um you know my parents are good people and and they raised me to be conscientious and 
Um, and I probably willfully avoided that for as long as I could until my conscience <laughs> caught up with me and and saw things for what they really are. Yeah. No, I get it. Well, you were also a youth worker there before you joined the school, the education system. Do you think that yeah. shaped you a lot too? Do you think that sort of um, exposed you to a lot of injustice and inequity? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I left that system out of out of frustration. Um, I remember for the, the last part of my career as a youth worker, I was case contracting child protection cases and case managing kids who are in out of home care. Mm. Um, and a lot of the things that um, Heather Baird said in her interview with you sort of rang true with me. I mean, mm. I don't I don't have the same skin in the game that she did um, being raised in that system. Mm. But definitely from inside the system, I was just utterly frustrated for from it. Uh, and I've I felt utterly um like um, I would see the schools and the work that they would do and and they knew the things that really mattered to the kids and and, and the really good schools like um, to Brook Street and Morwell was a big inspiration uh, before they got closed down with the way they really connected and and their relationships really mattered to the kids that were at their school who I, I thought were probably the most vulnerable kids in, in our area and, uh, and I sort of envied that and that's why I I sort of made the, the change out of the youth work sector and into the education sector. Mm. Now, there's another perfect example you're talking about, you know, a great school doing well and it gets closed down, you, you know, and and one of the things I think is a problem with um, the education system is that we're measured by, everything's measured by numbers and competition and, you, you know, that sort of stuff and and nobody's measuring the connections and, and the connections is exactly what the kids need to thrive do you know but so I, I get your frustration then you 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 say you lucked upon a student well-being role what is what does lucked upon mean <laughs> how, does, how did that happen <laughs> uh, well I initially left with I, I sort of didn't know what I wanted to do and I I just did some education support work for a little while and then obviously with my background there was um some intentions I suppose to put me in that role with um which I was really happy to do and yeah just such a privileged role um being in the student well-being position within the school because you mm. you you know you you get to work with these kids for 35 hours a week you get to work with teachers who invest so much of themselves and uh, you know I say teachers that goes for our principal team and and the education support team they invest way more of themselves than what they probably should in terms of having some sort of work-life balance into yeah. building relationships and and something meaningful with with all of these kids. Mm. And um, yeah, it's such a privilege to work with them, and it's such a privilege to work with the the families of these kids as well. So yeah, I really did luck upon the best possible job I could have found. It's really good. So you're still in that role now? Yeah, yeah. I don't anticipate leaving it anytime soon. 
Yeah. I love that you're saying about this, the teachers, you know, I, I'm I'm well known for saying how much I hate the education system for you know, for the competition stuff, but, but I'm also well known for saying that there are a lot of bloody good teachers out there who are battling their bums off, to, you know, who are trying as hard as hell to try and give these kids the best life. Any kid, not just the kids you're talking about, the families you have, but all kids, they just you know, just love these kids with all their heart. And I just, it's such a mismatch. And I just wish for these teachers, you know, the world was like more idealistic where they could just love the kids a lot more. Do you, you know, and I don't mean in a kooky way, do you know, but just, but just invest yeah. a lot more heartfelt stuff. And, you know, I wish they weren't trapped by all these measurements and everything else. But anyway, we could go on about that for ages and I'm not going to talk, I'm not going to because I get cranky about it. Um, <laughs> and you think um, I, I'm always interested in whether we have a blueprint you know um, whether whether what happens to us is was going to always happen, or whether whether we're self determined. You know, like I've got this real kind of. I'm usually leaning towards self determined, but every now and then I think I wonder. I wonder if everything's just sort of pre planned and we just keep dropping into stuff. Do, do you reckon, like in a serendipity type of way, you were always going to land in this type of role? Do you think? Um, yeah, I don't know. I've never really thought about it. All I know is I'm just grateful I did. So. Yeah. Whatever circumstances led to this moment right now, I'm glad they happened. Yeah, and I think that, yeah, I don't know the answer either. I just love asking people that occasionally because it's it's always gets my curiosity going. But I think the thing, the key thing is, is does it make your heart sing? And it obviously does, you know, and I think we spend a lot of time looking for purpose and I, I think sometimes we need to spend more time looking for feeling. Does this feel good to me? And well, yeah. then I'm gonna, I'm going to do it. So... It looks like it feels good to you. <laughs> yeah, and and definitely um, one of I think speak you know going back to my parents, one of the things they really instilled in me was you have to work. And when if you if someone's paying you to do something, then you have to invest a lot in that, and that's hard to do and and very energy consuming when you're maybe not feeling it. Yeah. Um, but there's nothing makes you feel more accountable than when you're looking into the eyes of you know, little people who who are relying on you to to give you something or to give them something and that sort of, I don't know, it, it all connects everything together for me, that work ethic with um, being made accountable to really do what you need to do. Mm, I love that. Yeah, I love that. I think the same, you know, with kids and animals and older people, it's like, well, it does with anyone. Once you look into someone's eyes and you make, how, how can you be a prick like in any way shape or form like how can you look into someone's eyes and not care like I don't you know I find that but anyway anyway yeah I see I go down all these rabbit bars Ben I love it I just get really stroppy about stuff but you know I just don't understand cruelty I don't understand lack of kind I don't anyway um so one thing I'm really interested in is you were saying before that with you were you started the little village project because you were sort of frustrated by the systems and you know that that these little kids were needing stuff and it just wasn't coming to them. So clearly there's no not enough money within the system. So you're sort of gathering, you know, fundraising and gathering sort of external um, funds, you know, to help these kids through. What was a catalyst for you saying, that's it, I'm going to start this project and I'm going to call it the Little Village Project? And what, what, what was it that made you say, that's it, enough's enough? 
Yeah, well, I think the frustrating thing is the money's there. I don't think it gets used particularly oh. well. Uh, and that was my experience in the system. And, yeah, I'm, I'm so happy to go on record as saying that. And I'll say it to anyone who's listening, yeah. there's so much money in the system. I just don't think it gets directed particularly where it needs to be. Um, and then, yeah, when I went to the school and, you know, sometimes you'd see teachers reaching into their own pockets just to make sure kids weren't missing out. And uh, I know that was some of my experience as a youth worker. I, one of the things that tipped me over the line is when I, I had to buy a little boy who was in out-of-home care a school uniform because I couldn't get capital to do it anywhere else. Uh, so, yeah, I suppose I, I sort of had all those feelings that when I left that sector and then I went to the school and I saw teachers doing a little bit of that. Like it was kind of nothing for them to, you know, pay for an excursion or chip in for a camp or a pair of shoes or something like that. And then I thought, well, what about some of the bigger things? Like if we've got a child who's experienced significant trauma throughout their lives, is there a way that we could maybe look at funding some therapy or some therapeutic services for them? If we've got a family who's, just you know maybe um escape family violence and relocated to a new area and you know or find themselves struggling on one income and paying exorbitant amounts of rent and one of their kids needs speech therapy just to succeed at school then is there a way we can we can fund that for them and take the pressure off mm -hmm. so yeah it's it sort mm -hmm. of evolved over time and i was lucky to meet the right people who helped me put it into, you know, this physical thing called the Little Village, uh, which is the name came out of the idea, that really cliched notion uh, that it takes a village to raise a child. Yeah. And yeah. it's just uh, uh, my way of sort of saying, well, yeah, let's let's help out. Let's chip in. We've, we've got the capacity to do it. Let's do it. Yeah, I love that. And I love that. I, well, I don't love. I, I'm hearing that you're saying, you know, that the funds are there and they're channeled into the wrong Area and it it's just comes back to my point before. We'll we'll fund put all our money into making kids that those who are achieving well, you know, look good and have all our schools looking good and our system saying we're getting all these kids to university, but we'll completely overlook these um kids that have had a lot of disadvantage because they're not going to make it anywhere. Yeah, you know, I'm not saying people are saying those words, but that's that's kind of the energy or the attitude that you feel. You know, when people are not giving them funds and. What a callous thing to do, not be able to give a kid shoes, you know, or not be able to um, help a kid out with lunch. Or, like, if, if equity is about giving kids, giving everybody, you know, just all those little things they need to have an equal playing field. And it's just really sad that that particularly little kids can be overlooked. Like, that's just so freaking sad. Yeah. And look, there are also, there are a lot of organizations out there who really, who do that really well, who do mm. some of that stuff really well. It's almost like the landscape is so massive in that area that navigating it can be hard sometimes. So, um, but at least yeah. with the Little Village Project, we know exactly what we can do. We can do it in a timely manner and you don't necessarily have to spend a great deal of time finding the resources or the right place to get a pair of shoes or, yeah. or whatnot. Yeah. And thank God for the good people on the ground, really, like because yes. the higher powers are not doing bloody much. So, but thank God, you know, there are so many good people with good hearts and say, well, you know what, a little bit, a little bit from me is going to make a big difference to you, you know, and 
but it shouldn't be the case. It shouldn't be the case that um everybody's running around trying to make ends meet for everyone else. But uh, at the same time, when we extend kindness, it actually makes us a better person anyway. So, you know, there's a lot of payoffs for them and for you, but um, it still sucks that the the higher powers are not really playing the game. Now, you... um. Uh, let me just, I'm going to read this out because this is, I don't want to get it wrong. The Little Village Project, since 2020, so that's only like, this is only in the th- third year now, Yeah. Um, has spent over $22,000 on 150 interventions for 36 students and families. So that is, you you know, there, there'll be people that like um, big organisations that spend hundreds of thousands and everything go, well, oh, 22,000 isn't much, 36 families isn't much, but that's 36 freaking families and there's probably five or six in each of those families who are also um, impacted by the kindness and generosity of the project. What does that look like? You know, so you're talking about speech therapy, you're talking about um, trauma counselling. What what other things is are you providing for the kids? Yeah, so a lot of it is uh, early intervention for um, mental health and trauma and and that type of thing. Yeah. You know, we had a an incredible family last year who came in after sort of escaping a really horrid domestic or family violence situation. And, yeah, I think one of the things that we take for granted is often in youth work and in the social services, we all always talk about strength-based approach to um, to yeah. working with families and children. And I think one of the strengths that we miss out on is some of these families, the one thing they're really strong at is getting their kids to school and engaging with their school. Mm. So that's why I think having the, the school is such a uniquely placed position in the community to to really meet the individual, those very specific individual needs of children and their families. Mm. And it saves having to, for them to having to explain their situation to another organisation and another set of people when the school already has a relationship with them. They they trust their most treasured, you know, members of their family. Um, you know, they trust us to care for them and, and provide that adequate care while they're with us for 35 hours a week. So we do have this really lovely, unique opportunity to build these relationships with people. Mm. And then if they need help, they can come to us for help. And I like that. So, yeah, we had this family who escaped a horrible family violence situation. And I've got so much regard for them, especially um, the mum, the effort that she'd gone to. She's just such a hard worker, such a great mum. And she said she was just, ready for some ready to piece her family back together and it was mm-hmm. nice to just be able to go well here's 10 sessions with a family therapist and and she had ownership of that she picked who she wanted to see um when she could have those appointments and all we had to do was really pay for it and and mm-hmm. let her run with it or um, my favorite story which i bang on about all the time is we had a little boy Back, I think he was in grade four at the time. And we sort of done everything we possibly could to get him to school, but his attendance was maybe 65% at best. And we, we'd even gotten Latrobe Valley bus lines to route a bus to go right past <laughs> his house, so they could, which was pretty incredible. 
And his teacher and his education support worker was sort of chatting to him and saying, what can we do? And, and they discovered that he would sort of wake up, it would still be dark, he'd get dressed in his school uniform, and then he'd be like, oh, it, it must be way too early to go to school. I'll just go back to bed. So he'd jump back into bed and then he'd sleep through um, the oh. bus driving past his house. And his teacher just said to me, can we just get him a watch with an alarm clock on it so he can get up at the right time and catch the bus to school? And that I think that watch cost the Little Village Project $50 and his attendance jumped up, you know, sort of into the 80 90% mark. Wow. Yeah. Well, I used to help um, people with disabilities move into independent living and there was one one woman who um, she'd always turn up late, you know, to to where she to her um, day day centre, and we could never figure it out. And it was exactly the same. It was the same type of thing. She'd get up early and and she was like ready to go, but then she'd turn on the TV. And then she'd watch one show, and you know how the TV it sort of the, starts the next show before you, you. When I was a kid, there used to be all these ads, and you knew the show was finished. But now, do they roll on? And as each show was rolling on, she'd sit there and watch the next show and the next show and the next show. And then when someone would go around there, and she'd be sitting there watching telly, and she'd be saying, "I'm waiting for the, I'm waiting for the news, or oh, sure, something, some sort of trigger that she had that we didn't know was a trigger to say it was time to go. And so we had to set, uh, we all we did was put a timer on the TV and that was it. The timer had turned off. And then as soon as it turned off, she, she'd walk yeah. down to the, and, and it's, and you can get really judgy and really blamey and what's wrong with these people, you know, what's wrong with this situation. But when you dig right into it, it, it could be the slightest, tiniest little thing, you know, that makes, all the difference in the world. And then you can look at below the surface too with your kid and the lady that I'm talking about. They're also carrying this great sense of failure yeah. because I didn't make it, I I did the wrong thing, I upset people and that's not fair either, you know, for them to be carrying that for the simple sake of a clock or, a you know, a watch. And, oh, that's a, Ben, that's a great story. I love that. Yeah, is that so his barrier was that uh, he couldn't get to school. He wasn't getting to school. So, you know, we we chipped away that and we got there. And, uh, you know, for some kids, their barrier to their learning might be that they're, they're in distress all the time because of the adversity that they've been through. And, yeah. and they just need some some help to sort of manage that distress or, or get through it, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, you know, for some kids, they've got – there was a grade six girl a couple of years ago and she just arrived at our school newly and – she was quiet as a mouse. We didn't get anything out of her. And, and then we soon discovered that was because there was some language issues. She had some speech problems. And it was just such a simple matter of, you know, arranging some speech therapy for her. And I bumped into her at, down at the Trailgun Plaza not long ago, and she's so happy and confident now. <laughs> and the way she applied herself to her speech therapy sessions was just gave me goosebumps. She was the best investment ever. Is that beautiful? So, so the rewards are um, just a constant, a constant river flow of beautiful rewards. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't ask for better than that, can you? No, how, that's right. How do, how do um families? Um, I know you've said a few things, but do, do families have to? come and apply to your approach or you just like, cause you just said um, one of the 
someone one of the teachers said, "Can we get get him a watch?" You know, is it is it just a case of the teachers alert you, or do the families come to you? Do they know about you and come to you, or and how do you choose? Like <laughs> hard. <laughs> yeah, it, it's got to it's got to be the meeting of a couple of of factors. You know, it, yeah. usually I like the ideas to come from the teachers because they. Uh, they know the families and their their students so well. Yeah. So it might be a collaboration. I might come from dis- some discussions they're having with them, and mm-hmm. um, so for you know for some really disadvantaged families, it's it's nice when they sort of come to us and and they begin that communication and and start mm-hmm. to talk and say, look, we're having we're having difficulties in this area, and um, which must be so difficult to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's hard to admit when yeah. things aren't going well and and that you know you, you've been through even just talking about adversity and trauma is you mm. know can be terribly distressing for some people so you know it's it's when they do it's incredible and then I think it it leaves us feeling less helpless when we've got this avenue to go down so mm. yeah it's it is great when it um it, it comes from a a collaboration of ideas between the the teachers or the principal team or the education support staff and the the family and the child themselves. Yeah, yeah. And I think that um, you're talking about that asking for help too is for, for families. Often often asking for help, we, we interpret it as a sign of weakness. You know, I, I'm weak, you know, I can't help myself, I'm useless, all that sort of stuff. In actual fact, it is really is a sign of strength, you know, to to be able to step up and say, I need help. And 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 I also love that you're talking about uh, that you prefer it coming from the teachers, but I love that the teachers are invested enough in, and they believe in you and the project as, as much as they believe in the kids and as much as they believe in that if just one thing changes, there's hope for this child, you, you know, and I just love that shared sort of shared care, you, you know, that everybody's on the same train and, you know, yeah yeah and and I think it comes back to that thing there's there's nothing makes you more accountable than looking these um, kids or their families in the eye uh, every day when you're at your job there's nothing makes you more accountable than that yeah yeah and I love the um the recognition that you it's sort of almost an, an an unsaid um, an invisible recognition that you there's this thread that goes seems to be going right through is that the acknowledgement that um, even if we can just change one tiny thing, it has the potential to ch- to domino, you know, to change a whole big thing for the kids. And this this sort of invisible thread that seems to be going through everything you're saying, you know, with you, the teachers, the families, and everything else. It's just that shared understanding that. We've only got to nudge it slightly, to, and we might have a great outcome. And and the fact that everyone is, um, oh, what's the word, optimistic or hopeful enough that yeah. they're prepared to try the very the very end domino just to see just to see what happens. I I love that. Yeah, and look, these sometimes these interventions are, are one step along a, a huge yeah. journey. Yeah, but I think you've got to start somewhere and if you have the capacity to do something then you should do it yep and yeah sometimes i don't realize how much it means like that the boy that we bought the watch for 
when when we gave him the watch, uh, I said, oh, this is from a, a project called the Little Village Project and people donated money and we used some of that money to buy you a watch. And he said, but they don't even know me. Oh. I, went, I went, yeah. And he goes, so they bought me a watch without even knowing me. And I went, yeah, they did because they they really care about you and they want, and it just blew his mind. He couldn't believe that these people in his community um, really valued him and wanted to see him do well. And I, Wow. See, yeah. that one thing, that one thing could, well, at the very end of the scale could potentially save his life, just the fact that he's at some point realised that people care. But imagine what that does to their self-worth. Do, you know, just imagine people care about me. I'm worthy of being loved and cared about. And I'm not saying their families don't give that, but when you're in a traumatic situation, it's hard to hard to even get your head around that. How beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It, it should be like that. It should take a village to raise a child. It, yeah. it should be something that we do a little bit better, I think. I think as over time we've got worse, we've built our fences higher and we don't even know who our neighbour is and, you, you know, we've become less community than we used to be. And I know back when I was a kid it used to be like everyone knew you, everyone everyone would dob you into your parents yeah. if you were doing something wrong. Yeah. But I, that's a, I think that's a better world, you know, because everyone knew you were safe and everyone knew where you were and everyone took care of you. Do you, you know, there was... um. I remember my neighbour had um, when the milkman used to come, and she'd have uh, her. They put the milk bottles in the letterbox, and her letterbox was behind these bushes, and you couldn't see it. Ours was sitting out, you know. You'd always see, it. but the, this one little kid used to always pinch a milk bottle from her um, her letterbox, and and he was from a really really disadvantaged family, and he, he would even he was so desperate he would even take the cap off right there, those aluminium foil caps, and he would just skull the bottle and she'd catch him every day. She'd get out of my bloody milk, you know, this. And the kid would run off, but he'd run off with a full belly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, good on him for being resourceful. And it's really easy to be be shitty with the kids or blame them or to say, you know, you're a little, you're a little thief or whatever. But when you look deeper, it's like people don't do that Um if they're not desperate, you know, people don't. Yeah. Very, yeah, very few people do that for fun. And I think a lot of the the avenues sort of out, out of that are prohibit, prohibitively expensive. And, yeah, yeah. you know, and I think that drives a lot of that inequity. You know, if, if you've experienced trauma and you need 10 sessions to get you started with a psychologist to help you through that, yeah. Um, unless you can find a Medicare accredited one that, who might bulk bill, you know, yeah. you're sort of looking at $1,500. Yeah. And uh, I just don't think, you know, when you're, you're a kid, that's, uh, that's a long way out of your reach. Um, and if your family's sort of caught in that cycle, then it, it's just so unachievable. Yeah. Um, yeah. If, you're, if you're struggling to pay your rent or your bills, you're not in a position to be able to prioritise occupational therapy or speech therapy if you've got some developmental worries about your child. It's just, it's not fair, um, but it it's nice to be able to maybe even that ledger up for the mm. 36 kids we've been able to help so far. Yep. 
Yeah, and it's not fair. And it's it's you know when you've the 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 people who need that the most, generally speaking, are the ones who can't afford it. You know, and and so the system, the gap, you know, the poverty gap or the gap between the inequity gap just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, because the ones who can't afford it, um, because of situations, end up you know often down the crime path you know because it's the only way they can survive and then the gap gets bigger and then everyone criticizes and everyone blames and points the finger and judges and it just it just gets worse and worse and worse so what you're doing is it it just sounds like on the surface oh we're raising a bit of money um we're helping kids who need it and you know everything's happy but it, but below the surface you know if you're looking at that like a what do you call it, an iceberg kind of thing, you know, that's what you're seeing. But under the surface, there's so much that is um, shifting and changing and opportunities moving and, you know, their future, what's their future going to look like as opposed to what it would have looked like without that tiny bit of intervention. You know, underneath the surface is um, exceptional stuff going on under there that, that yeah. we we'll don't know about. You'll, you'll probably never know about. Exactly. And um, I think the one thing that, you know, so far we've we've raised about $31,000, I think, and we'll oh. hopefully we'll have a little bit more come through this year. But the thing that I really like about it is that it's people in Terrelgan and people and businesses in this community are donating to this because I think they're sort of going, yeah, I don't know much about that world, but I hate the fact that it's happening in my backyard and in, in my town. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's sort of been really nice to see some of the the people who have contributed to it, who have, who want to come along for the journey. And, um, and even though that that world is completely foreign to them, they don't know what happens behind those closed doors they've gone, well, if it's happening, I, I want to be somehow involved with um, helping, helping people out of that. And mm. I think that's awesome. That sort of gives me goosebumps. And Yeah. You know what gives me goosebumps is sort of is, is my imagination. It's fantastic. Um, but imagining that, um, you know, a business gives money back here in 2022, you, you know, 2023, they don't know anything about where it's going. And then um, this is this under the surface stuff I'm talking about, you know, and, and in 10 years they uh, hire an apprentice, you know, or, or hire somebody who, and they just happen to ask them, you know, like, I don't know, tell us about yourself. And they say, you know what, the biggest thing that changed me is when I was at school, this little village project bought me blah, 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 and, and it made all the difference to me. And here's this business owner. Yeah, well, I mean, I know it's an imagination in my head, but imagine that, you know, like imagine that um, business owner thinking far out, this is this is what I contributed to, you know, this person standing in front of me now able to get a job and able to be happy and able to, you know, you know, make something of themselves and have opportunity simply because, you know, I dropped a, dropped a few dollars over there oh yeah i know when i was when i was first sort of tossing around this idea i consulted with the gippsland regional executives forum and they really did come at it from that angle you know it was kind of like we can contribute early on to having a really healthy workforce later on uh, which will won't just benefit them it'll benefit everyone and you know to have more highly functioning people in, in that 
sort of workforce pool will ultimately, you know, hopefully that'll help our town grow. It'll, yeah. you know, going back to what you said um, at the beginning, of, as we transition away from fossil fuels and, and what does the future of Latrobe Valley look mm. like um, when these kids probably reach adulthood and and what sort of careers are they going to yeah. they're going to find? I think it's ultimately it's going to come down to their educational attainment, um, their their understanding of the role that adults play in their lives. You know, are they are they are they going to be skeptical about adult relationships, or are they going to are they going to grow up with the notion that actually there's a community out there that cares about me, and that there are some redeemable adults that um, yeah. outside my own family that that really care for me and and have my best best interests at heart. Mm. So you know, it's a there's a lot there's a lot going into you know building what this town is going to look like in um, or this you know, LGA is going to look like in 20 years or so. Absolutely. And 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 you you've sort of gone the whole good way, but there's also the the bad way in that if if we don't invest, you know, and if we don't just chip in a few dollars, and if we don't just sort of um believe in the future and we just ignore people, you know, and let them sit in their trauma and just say, Well, too bad, you're you're a, you know, you you created this and you're blah blah blah, all that sort of stuff. And then they've got no other option but to commit crime, you know, and then they end up on uh, drug abuse because they feel so bad about themselves because nobody ever invested in their care do you, you know the whole town suffers like the whole community suffers from that it's not just it's not just kind of looking at them and going well that's your problem it's not because the problem filters right through the whole community you, you know and then and it's it's um so I'm sort of going down that side of it that you know if we don't I'm not saying I'm not I'm not for one minute saying that everyone in that situation ends up like that but I'm just saying there are a lot of the reasons why people do end up like this because people didn't care about them yep. people ignored them and Nobody showed anything, any sort of support for them, you know, and had people stepped up and supported some of these people, they wouldn't be in that horrible situation where they're dependent on drugs and, you know, and they're feeling like they've got no bloody choice but to survive any way they can, you know, and it's kindness goes a long, long way. Yeah, I think anyone given the choice between thrive or survive would pick thrive. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think anyone would choose to sort of live in that distress. And no. a lot of the times, um, you know, people don't are unable to work themselves out of that situation through lack of opportunity and and lack of know how. They you, you don't know how to get out of those situations. You you don't willfully live in that distress. It's you know yeah. it must be horrid. I'd never want to change places with someone yeah. who's so distressed. Um, so yeah, I think. That's why it's good to get in early. Um, early intervention it really is the best intervention. It's another cliche. Yeah, um, but it's true. It, yeah. It's absolutely true. And yeah. um, it, you know, when you're looking at at some of these folks who who really aren't doing well, and you can see they're in so much distress, it it's so much. If you ratchet them down to when they were sort of ten years old and they're just a little kid, it's, it's so much easier to have some more compassion for them. And it's that's how I like to think of those people is, you know, 20, 30 years ago, they were just a little kid and yep. they had no say in in what was going on in their lives at that time. And but that those circumstances probably contributed a lot to what's going on now. Yeah. I love that. I often do that too, is look at people like they are still a little kid. Do you you know, and, and just think who's in there? 
Who, yeah. who, who's in there that's that's in pain? Do you know? And some it actually helps you become, it helps your empathy rise, you know, phenomenally when you think about there's just a little kid in there. Yeah. Just a little kid. Yeah. Who can't, has, yeah. I, I love it. Now, you've got a um, connection with um, Kindred Spirits Enterprises and, and they, are they auspicing? Like, does it, how does, tell us about that relationship and how it works. Yeah, so when I when I started the idea um, and decided to go out there and try and pitch it to people to see, because I didn't know about having charitable status, so I don't think I could ever achieve that. I went to John Mitchell, who used to run the Gippsland Emergency Relief Foundation, yeah, yeah. Um, and I said, you know, what can we do here? And he said, oh, I'll put you in touch with Rhonda Renwick, who um, is the founder of Kindred Spirits, and arguably the best person I've ever met in my life. <laughs> um, she's such an enigma, but ultimately she's the kindest person I've met. And she said, well, I'm happy to host the Little Village Project and or auspice it under the Kindred Spirits and and people can donate to us and and we'll we'll look after that money and we'll pay the invoices. And, and one of the things that I was really insistent on is I said, the, the integrity of this has to be so... If we if we raise thirty one thousand dollars, then I want to spend as close to thirty one thousand dollars as we can on mm-hmm. um, on outcomes for kids. I don't want there to be exorbitant administrative costs. And and Rhonda's been really um, fabulous in finding other ways to cover those costs. And she's probably <laughs> probably had enough of me by now, but she's really <laughs> um, she's really stuck to that, which has been amazing. So. Yeah, because if I give to an organisation, I think I want that assurance that as much as the money of of the money that I'm giving gets to where it should be as possible. I, and I think yeah. we're also sceptical about those organisations now. So yeah. I've fallen on my feet by running into Rhonda and Kindred Spirits because they've they've sort of helped me achieve that, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, I'm the same. I run a, a not-for-profit, One Planet Classrooms, and, you know, all the money, there's no one's paid for anything. You know, the most we pay for is a new printer like every three years, and that's about it, you know, and ink for it. But um, everything everything goes. And and I think I've hardly had anybody ask or or be suspicious, to, you know, but, but when you've got big organisations, I'm not going to name them, but, you know, they've got great big bloody fancy offices and everyone's driving yeah. around jeep and they got bloody Chesterfields, you kind of like, well, shit, how much of my money is actually going over to that kid? So the the fact that you can do something that people can trust that, you know, 99.99% of it is actually going straight to the kids, you know, that that's a real, that that's that means a lot to people. And it also means that they trust you enough to um, continue to give. So um, I think so. When people want to make a donation, do they go to the um, to the Kindred Spirits website to do that? Is that yeah, they can. Works? Yeah, and under under projects, you can look up the Little Village. You can see a really embarrassing video of me back when I had a <laughs> ponytail in twenty twenty one. So if you want to have a laugh at that, you can. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, and you can read just a little bit about what we do. I'm not the most articulate person, so I probably have in no way described the impact that we are able to have on this podcast. 
Oh, you have. You you have. You, you, even just those two stories has been enough to say this has got so much, so such good bones to it. You know, it's no, you have articulated it. But at, at the end of the day, actually, you're not here to do a marketing campaign, and you're not you know, the stuff you've got written on the website's not a marketing campaign. It's just kind of like, hey, we're doing good things, and and the you know we don't need all the marketing fluff. We just want we just want to help. And and I think there's a lot of organisations, small organisations out there that just don't have that marketing guff you know that goes on and they're sort of like um and you're not gonna you're not gonna attach this to yourself because I know you're too buddy humble to do it but there's all these invisible heroes out there do you know that are, that are just quietly chipping away making a difference to people's lives and without all the hoo-ha so you know I see you as one of those and I know you don't want the hero badge or anything like that but you know Ben if it wasn't for you um, if it wasn't for your frustration, actually. So all these people who say anger's a bad thing, no, I think anger's a bloody fantastic thing if you channel it properly and do something good with it. So, you know, this frustration, damn it, you know, these kids are not getting what they want. And and, and there's that great saying that, God, somebody should do something about this. And so, like, well, hang on, I am somebody and I, and I will do something about it. And that, that's what you've done. And far out, I, I admire that so much, so uh, I- much. I can't. It's honestly incredibly selfish. It's um, I do this all <laughs> for my own benefit, but it's um, there's something to be said about that. Um, I don't come home from work feeling as helpless anymore these days. When when you get a family who comes to you or a child who presents with with something that's going on, it's so much better. Thanks to John. Thanks to Rhonda. You know, thanks to the teachers and the education support and my principal team. Yeah. Uh, to be able to go, hey, we can help, and yeah, you don't have to. You don't have to explain yourself to anyone else. You don't have to tell your story to anyone else. You've said it to one person, the person that you picked to say it to, and we've actually got something here that can help you right now. It's makes me feel so much less helpless so I sleep so much better at night uh so it's entirely selfish um and yeah it it makes me feel good so I'm not going to take any credit for it whatsoever um well, I reckon it's selfish on one way, and and it, all that means is that you're winning, but it also means that the kids win. So, well, let's just go with win-win because we'll um, call it even. Yeah. yeah, it's it's fantastic, and it just goes to prove, you know, that um, when we act out of kindness, you know, and when we uh, it it does benefit us. You know, I think sometimes we like got this attitude. Now, why should I? Why should I help those people? They can bloody help themselves. You know, I work hard. I'm not going to bloody give my money to someone else. That makes you sleep shittily. <laughs> but when you when you say, "Oh bugger it," I'm just gonna yeah yeah, and you can't help everyone. That's one thing that I learned. I'm I'm way too generous, and and I've burnt myself out trying to think I can save the world, and and you can't save the world. And sometimes you have to pull the pin, even if you know you're helping a lot of people. You sometimes you've got to say, "I can't do this anymore for my own health or mental health," you know. But so you can't help everybody, but we can all help someone we can all do small things and if you can't give money you can at least bloody acknowledge people and say hi to people and smile at people and just say here do you want me to grab that for you like that's so easy to give kindness and it and like you said you can sleep at night yeah you go home and feel fantastic you know it's um 
Oh, I don't know. I, I love it. Um, and so it is tax deductible. You could dig yep. so for people to donate. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So because uh, kindred spirits are uh, uh, a deductible gift. Um, yeah. DGR status. status. Yeah. 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 So um, it, yeah. So that way you can get a little um, a little bit of an incentive at tax time if you if you do that and. Yeah, and you can contribute to to your own community, which I think is pretty cool. And I, I mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's money in the right direction based on my experience. But uh, yeah, and we've got some. I'm not allowed to tell you yet, um, but we've got some big things happening this year. So, but um, we're in the process of finalising. So, I think uh, it's going to be pretty exciting in the next couple of years to see what happens with this project and based on the results we've had far, so far. So yeah. Yeah. Well, so. we can't wait. You might have to come back on, tell us the big things uh, after they happen and tell us what's going on. But, yeah, that would be fantastic. And I love all your guitars in the background, by the way. So if anyone's just listening to this, um, you'll have to go and have a look at the, um, even if it's just the snippet you go and have a look at, um, Ben's got all of his guitars hanging up in the behind him and we were talking about this. I've got a, a stack of guitars like that too and Ben's are all up so that if it floods they don't get damaged. Well, mine are all on the floor so I'm screwed. But um, I absolutely love them, Ben. They actually look a little bit in a, in a, in, in a better, health, healthier, more healthy condition than mine. But <laughs> it's a, So how has this affected your music? Has it made you happier with your Yeah, well, it was actually a, the reason I was able to leave my job as a youth worker and go and dropped down quite significantly with regards to my salary to work at the education department uh, was because I found myself in a, a relatively successful band that sort of made up that deficit in my wage. Yeah. And um, yeah, which I probably spent that deficit on more instruments <laughs> hanging in the background. Um, but yeah, it was nicer. And, you know, to play in a band with my two best friends and um, to play at, you know, weddings and festivals and stuff like that is pretty awesome. Uh, and to get paid for it is amazing. And yeah, like I said, it freed me up financially to be able to move from the private sector into the education sector and to to wind up where I am now. So yeah. pretty lucky in that regards. Yeah. So there's more serendipity, isn't there? You know, I think I think when you're open, things work out pretty well for you. When you yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm super lucky. Like my wife's so supportive, and um, she's a paramedic, so she's sort of connected well and truly to the community as well and and supports his crazy endeavors and <laughs> um, and and puts up with the time I spend writing applications for funding and that type of thing so she's pretty good value uh, and that's what we all there's behind every good man there's an even better woman they say that don't oh, they? for sure in this <laughs> case yeah absolutely I'm not being sexist but you know what I mean <laughs> no it's true though I'm not going to deny it it's absolutely true <laughs> I reckon too. Ben, I absolutely love this conversation. So the best place to people for, to find you is Kindred Spirits website? Uh, the Kindred Spirits website. Yeah, yep. yep. check us out there. Um, check out the other project projects that Kindred Spirits do. They're, I mean, the scale of them is unbelievable. I was They helped develop some products uh, with an Indigenous community in Australia and I took my kids, my wife and I took my kids to the Melbourne Museum last school holidays and we're walking through the gift shop and we found those products in, and uh, that's amazing. Like that originated from an organisation that Rhonda built here in yeah. in Latrobe Valley, which is incredible. And 
yeah um so check them out check out all their other projects because Rhonda's arguably the most inspirational person that I've come across in my life so yeah well, I hope she listens to this podcast and, and she can hear you um giving her all this praise oh she'd hate it she's so <laughs> modest as well she would hate this Oh well, she might have to put up with it now. The rest of now, the rest of the world knows how good she is. So, <laughs> yeah, they're on to her now. Look out! <laughs> oh, it's been fantastic. Well, Ben, I've absolutely loved this. I've I've loved chatting with you, and you know, I I hope this inspires people to give more and you know to help you out and to spread the word. And it's um, you just you you you're wonderful. I know you're not going to wear the hero cape, but um, for me, I, I can see you in it, and I just reckon you're you're a bloody awesome human. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, and and thanks for doing this podcast. It's I've been listening to a few episodes, and it's incredible. It's inspiring. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Well, it's only because of people like you. That's why. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> All right. Well, catch up. Hopefully, I'll catch up with you soon. Thank you. No worries. Thanks again, Karen. Okay, see ya. See ya. Oh, guys, I love Ben. Now, look, see how easy it is to just make a little bit of difference. And and you don't have to be like Ben. You don't have to get pissed off with a system and start up a project, although um, that would be a really great thing if there's a need for it, if there's a gap and you can fill it. Fantastic. Go ahead and do that. But if you can't and you just want to support, you know, throw chips of money in, even if it's 10 bucks. I mean, like 50 bucks bought a watch for that kid, you know, so it's not a lot of money to help out a project that is really helping local kids. I love the fact that he said it's going to expand. They're going to expand it to um, more schools and you know, this area is really sort of is overlooked in a lot of ways. And to see projects like this happening on the ground that support the kids that are experiencing trauma or disadvantage is is just wonderful. So go and check them out at um, kindredspirits.org.au and to get to the little village project, it's forward slash TLVP. But of course, that's going to be in the show notes. So I really hope you enjoyed that. I hope you're inspired by Ben. Um, I hope you realize that if he can do it, you can do it. And if you just want to help him, go ahead and do that. So I really hope you've loved it. I've loved it. And thanks again for joining me. And I'll see you next week. See ya. Thanks for joining me. As always, I hope this episode inspired you. If you know somebody who's taken courageous action to create something that's making a difference for other people, let me know about it. Go to my website, karenvaughan.com, tinker around there, have a bit of a look and send me a message. I can't wait to hear from you. And remember, you're worth it. Your unique talents and gifts need to be out in this world. And I'm so passionate about inspiring you to achieve that. So you've listened to this episode. Just say yes, make the decision and put one foot in front of the other. See you next week.